Let's pray. Father, we've just sung praises to you for your goodness in sending the Lord Jesus Christ to come as a baby, to live a sinless life, to die on the cross for our sins, to be buried, and on the third day to rise again, victorious over death, the penalty of sin having been paid. And we come to thank you this morning and praise you. Father, I pray that the time that we spend in your word would exalt you, would cause the focus and the attention to be on you and you alone. I pray for those that are here, that are listening, that you would use your Holy Spirit to convict of sin, to encourage, and to instruct. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We've already read the passage this morning that we're going to focus on, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, but I would like to read it again. And uh, if you have your Bible, um, you can turn there in, in Luke chapter 2. If you're using the Bible in the pew pocket in front of you, that would be page 1014. I also appreciated the reading of the passage in Hebrews because it's a reminder of how great the Savior is that was sent and the purpose for his coming. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothes, cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now this morning I'd like to talk about three things, focus on three things. One is a certainty, and what is a certainty? The second is the humanity of Christ, because this passage focuses on his humanity. And the third is God's eternal divine plan for Bethlehem and why that matters to us this morning. In order for us to understand the significance of this passage, I'd like you to turn back one page, or maybe two, depending on how your pages are formatted, to Luke chapter 1. And on the screen you're going to see in the ESV the passage in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 that I'm going to read. This is Luke writing to Theophilus, and he gives a reason for having written this gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty 
concerning the things that you have been taught. Luke says, what I've recorded, I've recorded so that you can have certainty about the things that you've been taught. Now, we like certainty. We, in, we appreciate certainty. When I go to the store and I look at a product and it says it's guaranteed for the life of the product, um, I think, well, that's great. I wonder how long the life of the product is. If it's guaranteed for one year, I think, well, it, at least the manufacturer has confidence in the product for one year. There's a grocery store that uh, has product in it. And, and on the outside of this product, there are, there are beans, and they, they're lovely beans. It says, Great Northern Beans. And, 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 and so I would like to think that I would, I would like to be certain that the beans that are in here are the beans that are displayed and that they're as lovely as the beans that are on the outside of the container. And how can I have any confidence in that? Well, one of the ways is that the, the grocery store has a double guarantee on these beans. They will replace the product if I'm not happy, and they will refund my money in addition. And I've actually done that. I've, there have been a couple of times when I wasn't totally pleased with the contents of the package that didn't correspond with the insides, and, and I took it and I said, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'd, I really like not to have this product. And they quickly refund the money and are willing to give you more of that product. And, and even if you point out that, you, well, I didn't really like that product, go pick some other product of comparable value. That's what certainty is all about. Now, on, on the next slide, Benjamin Franklin had something that he said about certainty. He said, Our new Constitution is now established, and it has an appearance that promises permanency. But in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. Now, that's where that nothing is certain but death and taxes comes from. It comes from his letter to his friend. But there are some things that are certain. There are things that uh, we can know for sure. Some things we know are certain just by experience. I know from experience that when I turn on a stove, that the burners get hot, and that it's unwise to put my hand on the burner. I also know from observation that certain things are true. I've watched people do crazy things and result in injuries to themselves, and so I've learned from that observation that I'm not going to do those same types of crazy things that I've seen others do. But I can also go to an authority, an authority who knows the truth, somebody that knows the reality, and who can instruct me, and I can have confidence and, and assurance in the certainty of what they tell me. So, for example, if Pastor Nick tells me something, I know that's true, that there's truth coming because of his integrity and, and who he is as a man of God. There's truth based on authority and certainty based on authority. So as we look at Luke chapter 2, and, and Luke is encouraging us to know that we can have certainty, what can we know from this passage? First of all, we can know that Caesar Augustus issued a decree. And I'm sure that Caesar thought at the time, I'm all-powerful, I can tell people what they should do and what they, when they should do it. And so in his mind, this was his edict, edict. But clearly God has a plan over all of history and God was involved. We can also learn in verse 3 that everyone went to their own town just as they were commanded to do. Fourthly, 
we can see that Joseph and his, and his fiancée Mary went to Bethlehem because that's where they were from. And so they obeyed the authorities in their day by taking this very inconvenient uh, three-day trip with a pregnant lady um, over terrain that wasn't like you know I-90 between here and Milwaukee. And finally, we can see in verses 6 and 7 that this was Mary's firstborn son and that he was born in less than opulent circumstances. And we've heard this story many times, have we not? I'm 61, very close to 62. I think I've probably heard this at least 50 times, probably more. And yet, God's Word always has significance for us, even if it's just to remind us of some central truths. There is one danger in reading a passage like this and drawing wrong conclusions, and I've heard wrong conclusions drawn from this passage. The lesson is not that there was an innkeeper who was a heartless miser who didn't care about pregnant women. There's nothing in the Scripture that condemns this man. We should not conclude, even though sometimes we've seen him portrayed as some sort of evil character, that he is not an evil man. His inn was full. He probably had compassion on his, on his guests. The other thing that we should not conclude from this is that because he didn't make room, it's an illustration for us that we need to make room for Jesus. That's not the point of this passage whatsoever. Now, it could be a, a way to illustrate it, but it's really not what this passage of Scripture is all about. This passage is about giving you certainty. Let's talk a little bit about the humanity of Christ. In verse 7 of Luke chapter 2, it says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. Where was this foretold? Well, most of you know this was foretold in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, right after Adam and Eve had sinned. And this is what the Lord said to Mary. I will put enmity between you, or he said it to the serpent actually, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This was a prophecy where God said to Satan, you will be destroyed. And there is one who is coming who will be born of a woman who will destroy you. You will attack him, and you will injure him in a way that seems life-threatening, that ends in death, but it will not be the death that lasts. We see in this passage also some genealogy that Jesus was the son of Mary. And Luke was a physician. He was concerned about the details. You, you can see that as he lays out this passage in Luke chapter 2. This is in contrast to the other Gospels. In fact, if you look at the other Gospels, it's interesting to see how Jesus is introduced. In Matthew, Jesus is, is introduced as the, the king, the, the son of David. In Mark, you don't even see a genealogy. You see him being baptized by John the Baptist. In Luke, he is identified as the, the, the son of Adam. In Luke chapter 3, verse 37, he is the son of Adam. 
In other words, His humanity is what is portrayed in Luke. And in John, the Gospel of John, again, there's no genealogy, but you'll, you'll remember that first couple of verses in John that says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was with God in the beginning. All things were made by Him, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So, Jesus is portrayed as man who has come, and He is portrayed as God in the Gospels. He is also, in verse 4, the qualified heir to David's throne. David had been promised an heir to his throne, and so Jesus was of the house and lineage of David. And He was born in Bethlehem but he was considered to be from Nazareth. In fact, you know, it's interesting, his humanity was often what identified him in the minds of the people. The, 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 the teachers of the law and the Pharisees and, and even the people that lived in his own town didn't identify him as the one who came from heaven. They identified him as, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this the guy from Galilee? Isn't this from Nazareth? In fact, even as one of his disciples was being called, he asked the question when he said that, when, when uh, I think it was Philip said, We've, we found the Messiah from Nazareth. And Nathaniel said, can anything good come from Nazareth? So he identified in his humanity with the lowest of the low, the lowest places of this world. Now it's interesting in this passage that there's a portrayal of a town in, in Luke chapter 2. In verse 4 it says, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem. And that's significant. In fact, we read during the worship portion earlier uh, from Micah, and I'm going to get to that in a second. But that is very, very significant. And that's part of the certainty portion of this passage. God's eternal plan for Bethlehem. We sang, O little town of Bethlehem. This is to complete His purpose for the sake of you with human blood. He came as a baby on purpose to shed His blood. In 1 Peter 1, 18-20, it says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you, who through Him are believers in God who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God. He came for the sake of you. And He came so that your faith and hope could be in God. Not in your own works. Not in your own desperate attempts to measure up to some standard that you or others or even God has set. In Ephesians 3, verses 8-12, through 12, it says, To me, and this is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, Though I am the very least of all the saints, 
This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access and confidence through our faith in him. So God had an eternal purpose. This Bethlehem town is part of an eternal purpose. And what is the end of this purpose? Why did He do this? So that we can have boldness and access and confidence through faith in Him. We no longer have to go into a temple and have a priest mediate for us. We can go boldly before God's throne of grace and confess sin and praise Him and ask Him for things. This week as I've struggled with a cold, and Cindy said I shouldn't say this, but uh, I prayed on Thursday. My voice was shot. I was coughing like crazy. And, and I just said, Lord, give me the, the strength you want me to have. And I believe he answered. I've got to measure more than I had on Thursday. I, I had boldness and I had access right into his throne room about the smallest details of my life. This was to fulfill His promise made before the ages began. Bethlehem was a promise that was made way before it was foretold in Micah. In Titus 1, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, Paul, a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies Promise before the ages began. God had promises all lined up before He even wrote them down. That's amazing. He knew what His promises would be before you and I could even have imagined them. See, Caesar, he didn't know what these promises were. He was just given orders. And even Herod, he was clueless about this whole thing. You know, when, they, when the wise men came to see him and they said, we've come to worship the king, he wasn't exactly pleased with this idea. Because there can only be one king. And if there's another king, that means I'm not the king. So he went to the chief priests and the teachers of the law and he said, so where is this king going to be born? And the chief priests and the teachers of the law took him in Matthew chapter 2, verses 5 and 6 to the passage that we read earlier in Micah chapter 2. Or Micah chapter 5, rather. And I want to read that for you again. Micah chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor 
has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to Israel. This is certainty revealed. Now these words were penned 700 years before the birth of Christ. And Luke is saying to his listener and to Theophilus, you want to know what's certain? Examine where the Christ was born. Examine all the details surrounding His birth. Examine the Old Testament because Jesus took the, the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus back to the Old Testament and showed them through all of the Old Testament, here I am. Here I am. I'm revealed to you. And so even the tiny little detail of Bethlehem in Luke chapter 2 is supposed to help us have certainty about God's revealed truth. And more importantly, the certainty that Jesus Christ is His Son who came to seek and to save those who were lost. So let's have some application. We actually sang some Latin words this morning. I don't know if everybody knows Latin. I don't. But uh, there are some Latin words that sometimes help us work through uh, some understanding. And this shouldn't be new to many of you, except for perhaps the words themselves. The first Latin word is notitia. And I may not even be saying that right because I'm not a Latin scholar. This has to do with knowledge, the content of the gospel and God's promises. These are facts. In other words, they might just be like 1 plus 1 equals 2. Those are facts. Um, or it may just be the fact that we read a passage in Luke chapter 2 that talked about Bethlehem, and now you have some education about this uh, event, or in some people's minds, maybe just a story of what happened long ago. There's a second level, though, and that's a census. That's ascent by which the intellect acknowledges the objective truth of knowledge. In other words, this is to say, okay, I believe it is true. That would be me saying, I read in the New Testament that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and I read in the New Testament that Micah said He would be born in Bethlehem, and so I say it is true, that is where He was born. He wasn't born in Jerusalem. He wasn't born in Nazareth. He was born in Bethlehem. There is a third layer to this, however. And this is the most important layer of all. And this is the layer called fiducia. And you probably recognize the word fiducia if you have anything to do with finances. Because if somebody has fiduciary responsibility, that means... Um, in very general terms, that they're responsible for being very careful and honest with the books, accurate with the numbers, making sure everything is aligned in such a way that you can have complete faith and trust in the report. And this is personal trust in the Gospel. I rest my destiny in this truth. This is more than just a sense that it's true. This is me saying, I have confidence and trust in this. And I can tell you that when I was a younger boy, 
the day came when I understood the story of Jesus coming. And I had been taught that in a church that didn't preach the gospel. I understood that story. And then there was a day that I understood that this is a true story. This is not just like other stories that I've heard. This is, this is a valid, true story. This is really what happened. And then there was a day when I understood that this baby grew up and died on the cross for my sins that I was guilty of, that I deserved to die for, and that he rose again that I might have life and victory over sin. And when that day came, I said, I no longer trust myself. I trust you alone, Lord Jesus Christ. That's fiducia. Here's another way to look at that. I'm asleep in bed. We, we have a two-story home. All the bedrooms are on the second floor. I hear a banging on the window. And a voice cries out, I'm a fireman. Your house is on fire. I've come to rescue you. That's knowledge. I wake up. Sometimes it takes a lot to wake me up. Cindy can attest to that. I wake up. I look around. I'm startled. I smell smoke. I hear crackling fire. I look out the window. I see a brawny, strong fireman in, in fireman's gear. And I think, yes, uh, there is a fire. There is a fireman. That's assent to the truth. But fiducia is going over to the window and opening the window and leaping into the arms of the fireman. It's no longer just aware of the facts, being instructed, but understanding that there is hope based on trust. And so folks, there is hope based on trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Him Alone, For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Neither is there salvation in any other. So, folks, what do you do with this? Romans tells both audiences what to do with this. There are two audiences. There are two potential audiences in every group of people. In Romans 10, verses 12 and 13, it says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I did, and I am, praise God. And many of you have, and you are. And we can rejoice this Christmas time because of what He did for us. There's a second part to Romans. It continues on, folks. If you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, then your response should be similar to that of the fireman. Now this is a weak illustration. I'll grant you that because nobody here saves anybody. I'll, I'll give you that up front. Okay, I know that's a weak illustration. Nevertheless, in Romans 10, 14, and 15. How then will they call on Him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? 
As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. So I ask you, have you heard? Do you believe? Have you trusted? Then we are to preach. Now that doesn't mean that everybody needs to take a turn up here. But that means that you are to preach where God places you. That means you are to teach where God has you teaching. That means you need to lead in Awana where God has you leading. That means you need to parent as God would have you to parent in your home. That means that you need to have an opportunity to share Christ to your neighbors and to your co-workers. And one of the things that's been a blessing to me in recent days is to just to be able to work at Target because I can rub shoulders with guys in the back room and talk to them about Christ. We should all have that opportunity to do that. I want to read in closing the passage from Bethlehem, or little town of Bethlehem that we sang earlier. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of His heaven. No ear may hear His coming, and He is coming. For in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive Him still, the dear Christ enters in. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend on to us, we pray. Cast out our sins and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell, but there needs to be a response. O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. And so my challenge to you is that if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have not leapt into His arms of safety, if you have not accepted His free gift of salvation, where He has paid for your sins on in his own body on the tree, then please respond to that gift. It's as simple as calling on his name. And if you need to talk to somebody, talk to Pastor Nick, Eric, anybody that's on the worship team, somebody that brought you, please do that. And if you know this gospel, if this gospel is true to you, you have a fiduciary responsibility to share it, to make sure the truth is passed on. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much for sending your Son to be the Savior of the world. And I pray that your word would accomplish your work in each of our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.